and so uh, I'm going to uh, continue my sermon series on discipleship. And you know, when I heard uh, those folks that are missionaries talk about Afghanistan, boy, was I convicted. Really, I was convicted to think about the fact that there are people there, are Christians, who just because they have an app on their phone that would tie them into uh, Christian service in some way, that they could be beheaded. Now, think about that. Now, think about what it means to be a disciple in the United States, uh, that we don't face that fear of death, uh, that, we, that we're safe, and yet so many of us still have fear, and still have fear, and so we have to ask God to strengthen us and to fill us with His Spirit uh, and to encourage us uh, in a mighty way. And so uh, this is part two of my series on discipleship, and that is what Jesus wants from us. As you know, I've spoken to you about the difference between day one in salvation and day two. Day one, you're saved. You've given Jesus your heart. You've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. But now comes day two. And a lot of people stay parked in day one forever. They've accepted God, but they never reached out, never stepped out, never took up the cross, and never walked with him. But Jesus demands more. Jesus says in day two, take up your cross, follow me, walk with me, be my hands, be my feet as you impact the world and spread the gospel to a world. That is day two. And so as you go back and look at what went on in the early church, you see Jesus calling, starting the early church, with 12 men, largely uneducated, mostly fishermen, and he called them to walk with him for three years. Uh, and what's amazing is that they left everything for Jesus. They walked away from business. They walked away from families. They walked away from relationships and they followed the Lord for three years, many times not even fully understanding what Jesus was saying. And we only know that later, after he ascended into heaven, that they finally began to understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. Well, that's the essence of the relationship Christ wants for us. And so in today's sermon, I'm going to talk about specific teachings that Jesus makes that relate directly to discipleship that directly affect us that you should be aware of. And much of the teaching comes out of Matthew chapter 10. Uh, and Jesus will lay down the regulations, his, his established principles for discipleship. Now, we know that the overarching impression that Christ has for us uh, is found in the, great, in the Great Commission. And there it says in Matthew 28, Verse 19, uh, make disciples of all nations. That's our role. Make disciples of all nations. So after you've been saved and after you brought salvation and introduced Jesus to your family, to your friends, now your responsibility is to go beyond that, beyond the current community and your family, to the entire world and make disciples of all nations. And so discipleship is the central work of, of the people of God. That is the central nature of what God has called this church to. Uh, and, and Paul talks about the, uh, the fact that we have been equipped in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. He says there, the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up the body of Christ. That's what it's about. Equipping of the saints, building up the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And so that's what it's about as we walk daily carrying the cross 
expanding the gospel. So, uh, and when Jesus called the first 12 men to him to be the disciples, he carefully instructed them, carefully instructed them about what they would expect, be expected to hear and what it, they would be expected to do. Uh, and when he did that, he excluded many people who had half-hearted commitments. You see, there are always people who have half-hearted commitments. And these were people that wanted the benefits of the kingdom, but weren't prepared to sacrifice for the kingdom. And so Jesus left them alone and didn't continue to use them. Effectively, he selected only those who were willing to walk on the straight and narrow path. That was what Jesus did and what he uh, excluded and included. And so here now in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 to 42, which we'll put up on the board, uh, Jesus will, put, will talk to you about the essence of the Christian dedication and consecration. What is it that he expects from us? How are we supposed to live uh, as disciples? And what he says there is, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous man uh, as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives you a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that certainly that that person will certainly not lose their reward. Amen, church? What a great statement about what it means to be a disciple. And you know, Jesus said here, uh, I didn't come to bring peace uh, but effectively a sword. And what I want to say to you all is that that was a figure of speech that Jesus used. Of course, certainly he came to bring peace, but he was saying to you, saying to us, uh, that effectively becoming a Christian, committing yourself as a disciple to God, will effectively separate you from family. And many of you can give me that testimony. Many of you understand this, that as you stood up for Christ, came closer to Christ, in some ways you've been separated from certain folks in your family who resent that, who don't like that, who don't understand how you're living, and that becomes a separation. But here's the thing. If that happens, you have to stand strong for Christ. You understand? You don't put your wife first over Jesus 
or your kids first over Jesus, or your family first over Jesus. You stand for Jesus in every aspect of your life. And when you do that, the people in your family will acknowledge Christ. They will see that. You, you will stand uh, tall. So that a, a choice must be made, you see, uh, between family and Christ. You can't have it both. You have to decide who's going to get my prime service. Who am I going to serve? Uh, and so no ties, no human ties whatsoever can deflect our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Uh, and then he says this poignant phrase, which really resonates with me, especially so today as we celebrate communion. Uh, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Wow. Jesus, what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, whoever finds their life will lose it. Meaning if you're looking for the pleasures of this world, the titillation of this world, the influence of this world, the treasures of this world, that's the essence of your life. Well, let me tell you a sad story. If that's what you want, you'll get it. But in the end, you will lose your life. You will lose eternal salvation. You will not be with Christ. But if instead you say, I don't care about that stuff. I don't care about the issues of this world. I care about you, Christ. I want to serve you. And so in that sense where the world says, well, look at that loser. He could be traveling all over the place. He could be out having so much fun. And instead he's in church. He's in church and he's doing this for God. This guy's giving up the best years of his life. Oh, no, he's not giving up the best years of his life. Instead, he is saving his life. He is preserving his life because what he's doing effectively is sending it on ahead. Sending it on ahead. You understand that? Sending it on ahead. My dad used to say, uh, you don't see any Brinks cars in a, in a funeral procession, right? You don't. But the one assurance you have is that there is a way to send it ahead. And the way to send it ahead is to serve Christ every day of your life. Amen, church? And so, we, so these truths are, our, are of great importance to us as Christians and as disciples. And Jesus emphasizes and reemphasizes the basic faith truths about this. And these are foundational and profound in the most uh, critical way. And those people who have lived according to these precepts have made a great commitment for God, have changed the world, and have shown the world this is what it means to be a Christian. And that's the essence of what this is about. Now, the instruction, you see, of Matthew 10 was given originally to just the 12. They were the, they were the first that heard this. Uh, and although they were the first to hear it, it applies 2,000 years later just as profoundly to us today. Uh, certain elements of that in the early days were, were limited. They were told they could only preach to Israel. Uh, they were given temporary powers, believe it or not, to raise from the dead, uh, to cure the blind, uh, to heal the lame. And some of those powers were limited even then only to them. But the greater principles that are applied here apply to us today uh, as, as disciples. In effect, Jesus is saying, this is what I demand from you as a disciple of mine. This is what it means. Yes, you're saved Yes, you've accepted me, but now I want to see you take up the cross. I want to see you in the day to experience. Now, because Jesus, you see, would not minimize discipleship, and that's one of the things you learn about the Lord. Jesus was never concerned about being popular, you know? 
He wasn't worried about what other people said about him. He wasn't looking to be politically correct. And how many of us, even in our relationships, when we start to talk about Jesus, we go, Ooh, wait a minute, I better, I better cut it back a little bit. I don't want my friends to think I'm a little bit of a flake. I won't have any more friends. Nobody will want to play golf with me. No, as a matter of fact, if you stand up for God, there'll be people lining up to be your friend because they'll see the difference in your life as contrasted to the life of the rest of the people in the club. You will stand as a beacon in, in such a powerful way. And so there were, there's an example where two men came to Jesus and, and putatively appeared as if they wanted to be disciples. Uh, and Jesus called them to follow him. Now, they got two excuses. One gave the excuse of having to bury his father, uh, meaning he wanted to wait until his father died so that he could in inherit the father's estate. The other man said he wanted to go to his family and say goodbye, meaning he had family responsibilities. And so, if you look there at Luke chapter 9, it's very poignant, verses 59 to 62, we read as follows. Uh, he said to another man, this is Jesus, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. So Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The kingdom is served by God's terms, not man's terms. What a powerful passage that is. Look, don't think Jesus says you can't go and bury your father. All right? Don't read it like that. What he's saying is, don't go back and wait for your father to die as if as you go back and wait, you're going to get an inheritance. Your inheritance is on the other side. That's your inheritance. And if, in fact, you're worried about earthly things, you've lost the whole perspective of what it means to be a disciple. You understand that? And, and even in the issue where the other man said, I have to go back and say goodbye to my family. What do you mean you have to go back and say goodbye to your family? What that was was a, uh, effectively a claim, I have to go back and settle up family relationships. No, you don't have to do that. If you put Christ first in your life, which is what Jesus said, everything else will fall in place. Really, uh, and this is important to understand that. Uh, and so discipleship means fully committing yourself 100% every day of your life to follow Jesus Christ, irrespective of whether it's easy or hard, irrespective of how you feel. You follow him as a disciple on the good days and bad days. Uh, and there's a passage in Colossians chapter 3, Verse 16, where Paul talks about this, and he says there, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In everything that you do in this life, you do it all through Christ Jesus. Okay? If God has prospered you in business, you bow and you thank him. Thank you, Lord, for doing. If he's prospered you in family relationship, you bow and you thank him. And whatever it is, uh, if he's given you a ministry, again, you bow 
and thank him. It's his. He gave it to you. You don't have it because you're so smart or talented or gifted. Don't ever go down that path. Don't ever be one of those Christians that say, oh, the Lord's lucky he's got me. Oh, yeah. He's lucky he's got me. I'm out there in the front rank. Let me tell you, when you hear stories like that, inevitably there's a, there's a fall and these people disappear from the work of God. All right? Because what this is all about, this is bowing and submission to God in every possible way. Uh, and so as we grow in discipleship, we become more Christ-like. You understand? That's the essence of what this is about. We become more like Jesus. We become holier. We don't even know, notice ourselves that this transformation is taking place. But I would say to you that those of you who have been a Christian for, for 10 years at least, you know that your life, you react now in ways very differently than what you did 10 years ago. You know, 10 years ago, uh, if somebody would cross me in some way, I would blow up. I would be angry. Uh, in many ways, I would look to, to gain justice, all right? Uh, that's the essence of coming out of New Jersey. Uh, but luckily, God brought me to Florida, and he worked me over while I was in Florida, uh, and, and he poured his spirit into me. And so now I find I'm not the same man, and I'm convicted. You understand? I'm convicted if, in fact, those elements bubble up, and all of a sudden, I find myself being ready to fire off a missile or two. You understand? Maybe not for you, but for me. And God convicts me and he restrains me. You see, that's discipleship because people are watching you. They know you go to church. They know you call yourself a Christian, but how does he act? How does he live? What happens when he's on the golf course and he's on the tee and all of a sudden he shanks one out into the clubhouse? What words come out of his mouth? Ooh, I never heard words like that before. I thought he was a Christian. Well, you see what happens? The, the bottom line is that we are supposed to act as disciples 24 hours a day. It's never over. It's never off. Uh, and so Paul really understood this so well. He understood it so well. <clears throat> and, and he said in Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, becoming like Jesus in his very death. I want to know Christ. I want to know him in every aspect of my life. I want to see how he lived. I want to see how he died, and I want to know him, really know him through the Holy Spirit. And I want my life to conform to him. Look, here's the bottom line. The true disciple of Christ does not look for applause. We don't look to be accepted by the world. We don't look to be loved by the world. Uh, because when the Lord was here, he was rejected and despised and persecuted by the world. What makes you think that as his disciple, you're entitled to be treated better than him? Really? And so what we understand is that the world repudiates Jesus Christ. And so the call to discipleship is to take up the cross and be like him, walk with him, and have the qualities that Christ had, those qualities of love, joy, peace, and kindness in every possible way that attracts the world. 
attracts unbelievers. Can you, in fact, understand why this church should be packed when people look at your life and they see the imprint of Christ in your life because you carry love and joy and peace and kindness wherever you go? Now, if you're saying to me, "Mm, I'm a little short of that, John. I'm a little short of that. And frankly, I say that often every day. So I don't want you to think that you're alone. What it means is that we're being sanctified daily. Yes, I'm committed to Christ. Yes, I've taken up the cross. Yes, I'm walking. Yes, I've put everything else in this world in second place. I'm doing that. But at the same time, I still carry the flesh around with me. You understand? And he has to work on that flesh. He has to sanctify me, and he will. He sands me down. He polishes me, and he prepares me for what he wants. It's not easy. You understand? It's not easy, but that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. This is what we've signed up for. Uh, and this, this is the lesson of life. This is how we are to walk for the rest of our life. And so a disciple does not fear the world. And I want to say that to you today. Do not fear the world. Do not worry about what other people are going to say about you. Do not worry what your family is going to say about you because suddenly you're going to church and you're committing yourselves to multiple ministries. Do not fear. God has you covered. Uh, And look at Matthew 10 verses 26 to 31 where Jesus speaks precisely on this issue. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hair of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth many, much more than sparrows, many sparrows. What a powerful uh, statement this is by Jesus about the lack of fear. And I would say this to those of you who are suffering from anxiety. Jesus is with you. Nothing is going to befall you. Don't worry about the issues in this world. Don't worry about the finances of this world or your relationships in this world. If you've taken up the cross and walked with him, he will take care of you because he takes care of the sparrows. Now, honestly, if he's taking care of the sparrows, do you honestly think he's not going to take care of you in every possible way? And so do not be afraid. Look, he said there, be afraid of the one who can take both your body and soul. He didn't mean you be afraid. He meant be afraid for those who are not saved. That's who he saved because Satan can't touch you. You understand? Satan has no authority over you. You're with Jesus. You're saved. You cannot be touched. But be fearful for those out there in the world who have not given Jesus their lives. Because in fact, they're at danger. They're at risk. Uh, And so this becomes so powerful to me as we walk with Christ and understand what he expects from us. And so Jesus, you see, was sending out 
these disciples into a world that despised Jesus, that despised his teachings. They hated him. Satan had control of this world. And so he was preparing the disciples for the fact that they would be, they would be arrested, they would be persecuted, they would suffer, they would be thrown in jail. All this would come to them for no other reason than they had followed Christ. What a lesson that is for us. And so here he's saying, stand on the rooftops. Give the message of Jesus Christ to the rooftops, to the world. And so I would ask you honestly, can you say in your own life that you're doing that? Can you say that when you come across people that are not saved, that you make it a point to say what it's about? Do you tell people that on Sunday morning you go to church? Do you tell people, or is that like a little secret? You don't say it. And when you go out to dinner and sometimes you're coming out with other people that don't know the Lord, let me ask you this. Do you ever say to them, do you mind if I say grace? How about that? How about that? Do you mind? I, I'd like to say grace. And you're with a table of pagans. Ooh, I want to say grace. I have never had anyone say to me, oh, 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 no, no. Don't do that. I've never had that happen to me. And I've said grace numerous times to people. I'm going to say grace. And they listen. Now, here's the thing. They will remember later about your life. You're not a fake. You're not a phony. You're not a hypocrite. You're walking with him. You understand? This is what discipleship means. Shouting it from the rooftop. You know, some of these verses were written 2,000 years ago, and maybe they don't translate as well. But really understand this. Understand this. He's expecting us to stand tall. And what he's saying here is that you shouldn't fear any man. You don't have fear of any man. I don't fear man. I don't fear the culture. I don't fear what popular opinion is. I couldn't care less if people that I was used to, used to be friends with think I'm a loser. When I think about all those people that knew me as a practicing lawyer in courtrooms all over the world, I don't care. I don't care if they think I've lost my mind. You understand? It's irrelevant to me. I want them to listen to what I'm saying because if they listen to what I'm saying, they'll know that he's committed to Christ in every possible way. And that's what Jesus wants from you. He wants you to live this life. And so here's the thing. He calls you where you're at. You're not called to be a preacher. You're not called to be a missionary. Thank God we have people that have committed their lives like this who are here, and I bless them and bow to them and ask God to protect them. You don't have that call, but you could support people like this. You could support people in your business life, in your family life. Where you are, God has called you to stand tall, to be a disciple. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let fear stop you. You need to stand tall in the most powerful way. Uh, and, and I look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, which again uh, is, is the word of God as it relates to our commitment. It says there, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. There it is, folks. Put it on your refrigerator. Are you in love with the world? Are you enthralled with the world? 
Is it the possessions of the world that has your eyes? Are you, is that what it is? Because if it is, then you're not a disciple of Christ. Because that indicates that you're not committed to Jesus Christ. Look, it's great to have possessions. It's great to have wealth. But not to the extent that wealth overpowers your relationship with Christ. You understand? If God's blessed you. And he's poured certain uh, wealth into your life. The reason he's done that is because he expects you to be a steward and to turn it over to him. All right? It's like that famous phrase when people come up to me and they'll say to me, John, I have a question. Uh, and when I tithe, am I tithing on the grocer or am I tithing on the net? Oh, my God. You're tithing on the grocer, tithing on the net. What part of God's word don't you understand? Tithing on the gross, tithing on the net. Here's the answer I give. It's all his. Start with that. Here's the ledger. 100% God. Got it? Now, how much of God's stuff do you need to keep for yourself? Oh, oh, that's strict. But you understand when you live like that, your life is transformed because you're not poisoned by the things of the world. That's what we say. Look, I don't want you to be poisoned by the things of the world. I want you to have a triumphant life in every way. I want you to be liberated uh, from, from the decay and death of this world. And Paul promised us that the liberation is coming. In Romans 8, verse 21, he said, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's the essence of it. It's coming. This creation itself that has been bound in decay uh, and sin and death will absolutely also be liberated. Look, we love John chapter 3, verse 16. Don't we? Lo we love it all. But we forget about 17 and 18. You understand? Ooh, that's a little rough there because there it says if we don't accept him, then we're doomed. We're doomed to eternal damnation. Yes, that's right. It's that simple. You're dead men walking. What part of this don't you understand? And you have to give this to a world that's lost. It's not their human philosophy. All right, or winsome personality, or their good works. Your good works are like filthy rags. Don't go thinking your works are going to get you into heaven. It's totally your commitment to Jesus Christ in every possible way. And I love this example in Scripture. When I look at Paul as really the premium disciple, the prototypical disciple about how he lived his life. Uh, and it's found in Acts 21 uh, verses 10 to 16. And now he's talking about going back to Jerusalem the last time. He's talking about going back, and they're warning him. They're warning him. Oh, oh, you can't do this. This is bad. This is bad. And, and read with me as we put it up on the board. And he says there, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. How about that? Is that clear enough for you? This is what God spoke to my heart. He's going to tie you up. He's going to bind your hands and your feet and hand you over to the Romans. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go. 
Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And that's how to live your life. The Lord's will be done. Every single day of your life, get up and say it. The Lord's will be done. Whatever it is, I'm following you, Jesus. I don't care about the ups and downs or the fear or what people think about me. And so let me just close with this point for you. If God is concerned about the sparrows, if not one sparrow can fall without God allowing it to fall, how much more, how much more for you? And someone said, which to me really resonated with me, that God attends the funeral of every sparrow. How about that? Every sparrow. That's how important they are to God. And how much more important are you to God? Amen, church? Let's close in prayer in the sermon. Father, I thank you for this message. I ask you that it grow in our hearts, that it resonate as we understand what you want, Lord, from us as we walk with you, what it means to be your disciple. Let us understand this and grow with this commitment to you in every way to be like you and your qualities as we impact the world. And don't let us be fearful, Father, but strengthen us and lift us up as we walk closer to you and impact the world for you. Amen, church.